Hello, and welcome to Pacific Roots Magazine podcast. All right, and welcome to Pacific Roots Magazine podcast. We are here with Michaela Carlson, PhD of MichaelaCarlson.com, author and recognized plant-based nutrition expert. I'm very happy to be meeting you. Uh, I learned about your work. Um, when was it? it might have been early last year when I first reached out to you. Uh, but I really, I really liked your website as a resource, was extremely excited to um, touch base with somebody working within nutrition and specifically plant-based, um, knowing the importance of that, you know, um, the growing importance of experts in that field. So thank you for being here. Oh, thank you. It's so nice to be here. Thanks for inviting me. <laughs> so uh, let's go dive right in um, on your website. Your mission statement is making plant-based nutrition delicious, evidence-based, and accessible. Um, I think that speaks to your academic background as well, but um, I love the accessible um, aspect. So I, I want to hear about your background and what led you to nutrition and then specifically plant-based. Oh, sure. So I think I had a, some kind of innate interest in nutrition for a long time since maybe a young age. And I remember being interested in healthy eating, even when I was, you know, in high school and um, maybe 16, 17, I tried a vegetarian diet. I think because of some of my friends were eating that way, I um, had some element of peer pressure, but I actually went to Cornell University for my undergraduate degree. And that's where Dr. T. Colin Campbell was a researcher and on the faculty for many years. So he had a course when I was a student there called Vegetarian Nutrition. Ooh. And I actually never was his student at the time, but my best friend took his course and told me all about the material. And I got really excited, as did she. And when the China study was published um, in, in its first publication, I read that book right away, and at that point, I'd kind of been eating a vegan diet, um, partly because of that influence and knowing about his, his research and his work beforehand. But, um, you know, I had some health issues myself, and I, I felt like they were really improved by eliminating dairy products and sugar and flour. So I've always had kind of a, some respiratory problems. When I get a cold, it tends to go right in my chest, and I used to have a lot of allergies which, you know, I still kind of struggle with that a little bit, but it's so much better since cutting out um, dairy products and processed food. So um, I ended up working for Dr. Campbell for about seven years after graduating from Cornell and um, during my getting my master's degree at Johns Hopkins, and I helped him launch his um, eCornell certificate program in plant-based nutrition, um, which has since you know, developed their, the organization now is the Center for Nutrition Studies and it's doing really well and has grown in so many ways. Um, but I think working for him for a long time really underscored for me the value of research and kind of moved me in the direction of being a researcher and um, wanting to understand information and create new information. And, you know, at the same time, I'm just very aware that people really struggle with sticking with a whole food plant-based diet because of all the logistical challenges with other people and the food environment. And um, I think it's just so important to make sure that the research that we know can be applied to our daily lives and can be relevant and um, that it can be accessible for everybody. Right. I, that, accessibility, that accessible aspect is so important because it's true. It's not... Um, readily, it's not knowledge that we necessarily grow up with, all of us, about how to eat on a whole foods plant-based um, diet. I, I 
shifted to veganism. And it wasn't until within about three years of that, that I started making the shift myself to whole foods plant based. And it was really wonderful, but it was definitely a transition. You know, um, I have to ask, so did you work, were you working in Ithaca at the time with him? Yes. And that's where I live now, actually. So I love it here. I've moved, I've moved a lot and I've lived in many places. I lived in France for a year after graduating from Cornell and you know, that's probably the, the most different kind of a diet that I've eaten for a long time compared to what I typically try to eat now. But um, I've been in a lot of places and always loved this area. So I just fell in love with it. And I do live here today. Yeah. Ithaca is gorgeous. Yeah, <laughs> I lived there too. I went to Cornell also. Um, oh, okay, great. Yeah, I really like so it. Did you take Dr. Campbell's class I when did. you were a student? Oh, uh, oh no, awesome. no. I did my master's at Cornell and I took it online. So I took the okay. class, I took the certificate program that you helped to launch. Oh, um, very nice. Okay, yes, wonderful. Yeah, yes. Lots of interconnections. So yeah, uh, it's great. just really exciting. I'm glad they exist and it's great to learn about your role um, helping to launch that. That's really exciting. So yeah. you wrote a book also, um, A Plant-Based Life. Mm -hmm. uh, you're interested in sharing what the what the book is about, your motivation for writing it, and how the reception of it was. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I wrote a book that I feel I needed to read and still can use to this day. So when I was working for Dr. Campbell, we did get a lot of phone calls at the office from people who kind of got excited about the information and they read the China study. But I remember one lady called and she said, I have a meat full of, I have a freezer full of meat in my basement. What do I do? And there were just lots of questions about this. Like people really did not know how to do the diet, quote unquote. So I would say nowadays we have so many more resources online in lots of different books for how to cook whole food plant-based food. And, you know, of course this is only a problem for us in the Western world. Like people who live in um, non-Westernized countries have the advantage of at least, although things are changing, at least the traditional diets are much more, whole food, plant-based oriented. But a lot of people just really were struggling with how to cook and how to shop and how to make it work. And so um, that's where the inspiration to write A Plant-Based Life came from. I wanted to really give people a lot of strategy around how they can be successful and particularly acknowledging that it's so hard in the modern food environment because we have so many instances when we're presented with food or offered food or we it's expected that we'll eat and the food really isn't what we want to be healthy typically. So um, I tried to, it's, you know, it's a, it's a five-step book starting with getting educated and inspired and then moving on to, to adding in more plant food and then letting go of and reducing animal food and processed food. And then looking at the physical environment and making, um, really making it easy creating healthy default choices in someone's lifestyle so that the easiest choice is the healthiest choice. And I think that's so important because um, there's a lot of research on decision fatigue and willpower. And it really indicates that like willpower isn't for what people are using it for nowadays, which is to stop themselves from eating or eat less. So the more we can avoid using willpower and the more we can just set up our lives so the structure is really supportive of what we wanna be doing, the more successful people can be and um, the reception has been great. I mean, everyone that I talk to feels like it does actually offer them some help that they haven't found in other books. So I feel like, um, you know, it was successful in 
in providing that like structure and support strategy that people are really kind of seeking because you know we have lots of information about how to cook and lots of information about why plant foods are healthy and it's you know the the gap it's meant to fill is like how to put that together so you can stick with it for your, the rest of your life not just a few months or a few weeks right and there's no shortage of like plant-based and vegan like recipe sites and everything but yeah. not used to shopping that way it really it really <laughs> is a, it really is a shift it takes it takes um ha habit changing so it is yeah absolutely yeah it's still really yeah and of course with, with other people there's a lot to navigate and <clears> a lot of yeah. expectations or social relationships friends and family i mean that's a lot and that's where a lot of people get stuck so right. the last step of the book tries to address that and you know, there's never too much you can say about that either, really. Right. No, I just immediately thought of the Thanksgiving table. There's so, so much richness. It's so much dialogue to be had about, yeah, the social aspect of it all, the mm -hmm. social aspect of food. Um, so mm -hmm. uh, as interest in plant-based diets grow, uh, as you work with nutrition, what, um, what are your concerns for people? What are your, like, your main concerns for people uh, who are transitioning in terms of nutrition? Are there like certain hotspots you would cite, um, you know? Um, people transitioning from a more Western yeah. standard American type diet right. to a whole food based diet. I mean, I think that the biggest kind of challenge for people is reformatting their expectations about how much volume to eat. So if someone is, particularly if someone's gonna go for a no oil diet, it's definitely less calorie dense and you do, you need to eat more food. You need to eat bigger servings to get enough calories. So a lot of people who try it and they feel kind of tired, um, they may just be hungry, but not realize they're just not eating enough because they're used to eating smaller portions. So if, if someone's still consuming oil, that may not happen as much because oil is a very calorie dense, um, you know, processed food. But if someone is going from eating a lot of meat and fast food and they're suddenly eating a lot of plants, um, the fiber is really going to help them feel full and feel full longer, of course. But, you know, you need to probably eat bigger servings and that's kind of important. Um, right. And then, of course, if you stick with it for a long time, there are a few nutrients that are important to be checking on, like vitamin B12 and vitamin D right. in particular. Right. Okay, well, and somewhat connected to that, um, do you run into sort of consistent <laughs> misconceptions, like especially for people who are new to whole foods, plant-based, are there certain misconceptions that continue to crop up about, about plant-based diet, things that people sort of commonly don't understand? Yeah, you know, I have to say that at this point, I'm a little insulated because <laughs> I work for the American College of Lifestyle Medicine as their research director. I love my job. It's a great organization. Um, certainly our nutrition position is very whole food, plant-based focused. And I think in my personal life now and professional life, I, I tend to either not talk about food or I end up talking about nutrition with people that are kind of already interested. So I'm a little removed from that. But I will say that, of course, all these questions about protein always come up. Are you getting enough protein with plants? What about complete proteins? And um, just to, I guess, reiterate the the clarification, there's no need to combine proteins from different foods within a single meal. Because of protein turnover and storage in the body, if you eat a variety of whole plant foods over time, you know, the body breaks down food and then proteins into individual amino acids during digestion anyway. 
So your body will recombine the amino acids into what you need. Um, if your diet is entirely French fries and soda, that may not apply, so that could be a problem. Um, but there's really no, no need to worry about getting enough protein as long as you're eating whole plant food and, um, and a variety of food. In the Western world, we eat so much food that really getting enough pro absolute proteins is like an absolute requirement. Um, so hardly anyone in Western countries has an issue with getting enough protein. Right. <clears throat> so where do you think this, um, this, this is probably very well documented somewhere and explored the, the myth of um, this obsession, the fixation with protein and concerns? Um, yeah, I mean, I think Dr. Campbell's talked about that a lot. Um, the proteins really equated with meat and animal food. And of course, 100 years ago, there was a lot of food scarcity. So we were in a very different situation with respect to our nutritional concerns, like the dietary guidelines from 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years ago are more focused on um, adequacy, meaning like, are people getting enough? And that was an issue because we, we had much poorer in terms of variety and quantity. We had much poorer nutrition. Back then there was a lot more poverty that was associated with simply not getting enough food. And so um, affluence and the ability to eat more calorie-dense foods that were higher in protein, namely meat, they all got conflated and it's just become part of our collective cultural perception of right. what foods are and the value of them. So it's lingering to this day. And of course, like, you know, athletes try to eat extra protein Right. And extra protein does help build muscle, but only if you're also doing weight-bearing activity. It's not like you can drink a protein shake and it magically goes into your arm and transforms into muscle. You have to be physically active and um, you need to be exercising and doing weight-bearing activity for that to happen. Um, but I think, you know, all of these things, as I said, it's just part of our collective kind of view that is sort of lingering and persisting. Right. Well, it was good to see the Game Changers come out and really, yeah, that was pretty amazing in terms of the whole athlete response and um, modeling, actually modeling how the, how this can work for genuine athletic performance. Um, so, so. Okay, we froze up for a second there. All right. Oh, also, I want to hear about the Plantrition Project. Oh, sure. Um, but you, and before we get to that, oh, yeah, I just wanted to say The Game Changers is such a great movie. It's so beautifully done. I hope everybody watches it. Yeah, absolutely. It was very beautifully done. I have to watch it again and probably again and again. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I saw on your website your involvement with the Plantrition Project. Yes. So I, um, I have spoken at their conference a couple times, and I actually um, had created a website a number of years ago, plantbasedresearch.org, and that is um, a resource that's an online library of peer-reviewed research studies for um, people interested in plant-based nutrition. So it's currently undergoing some changes, but it should be back online soon. And it's really just a database for people to be able to access the research themselves directly, because I know a lot of people are interested in that and not quite sure how to find the papers. Right. Oh, that's great. So um, 
I will look more into the Plant Nutrition Project, but it's a collective of um, healthcare nutrition professionals. Oh yeah, so Plant Nutrition Project in general, um, it's so the the three founders, Susan Benegas, Tom Dunham, and Scott Stoll. Um, Scott and Tom are physicians, and Susan Benegas um, has a background in um, management and healthcare, and she actually is the current executive director of ACLM, American College of Lifestyle Medicine, where I work. Okay. So they um, created really um, an amazing medical conference with continuing education credits, continuing med medical education credits for attendance, and it's it's just absolutely a huge success, and they have a number of resources posted on their website for people who want to transition or um, doctors that want information. So it's really a great clearinghouse of information about plant-based nutrition, particularly for clinicians and medical professionals. Oh, that's really exciting. Yeah. Uh, I will be looking into that. So this, this next question um, kind of connects to that. How do you feel that the field of plant-based expertise in healthcare has, has grown in the last couple of decades or since you sort of entered the field? Well, I mean, it's grown in a huge way. It's, there's no comparison between today and 20 years ago. Um, I think there was so much more, um, just a much greater lack of information and lack of knowledge back then compared to now. Now we have so many different entrepreneurs and researchers and clinicians reversing disease with a whole food plant-based diet. And, you know, the research is still getting off the ground. Like, we're running a um, call for case reports on type 2 diabetes reversal at ACLM right now. And I hope that we can get a lot. I, I, we know there are many, many hundreds out there. Um, but I think the research has yet to catch up with some of the clinical experience. But now, like, so many people think of plant-based eating as very mainstream, and they try to eat more plant foods, even if they don't call themselves vegan or vegetarian or eat that way all the time. And we have so many more restaurants and um, just a lot more awareness from doctors about nutrition. So I just think like the future looks good. We're going in a really good direction. That's great. Um, so the last question we're coming up on is um, extremely important to me. I love talking about this. You and I had a, a little chat about this already, but mm -hmm. so the, um, the realm of research and knowledge for plant-based nutrition for pregnant women and nursing women. Um, <clears throat> what is your um, viewpoint on that, on the, the perspective of the body of research and evidence existing and that is coming forth um, as well? Sure, so this is, so first of all, this is like a personal issue for me right now because I am seven months pregnant with my oh, yeah. second Hopefully last. <laughs> um, seven months. Okay, nearing the end of seven. Uh, uh, I'm a, I'm nearing seven. Okay, so not quite there yet. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, so I, I'm very personally interested in this. Although I will say this is not my this is not my overall professional like field of expertise, but um, you know it's clear that women can absolutely do just fine on a completely plant-based diet throughout pregnancy and nursing. But there are a few nutrients that, you know, often in general, if you're eating a totally plant-based diet, it's important to pay a little bit more attention to them. And that's even more true during pregnancy. Right. And that's because you're growing another life and that baby is 
really going to be probably fine and take everything it needs for itself. So if anyone is in trouble, it's the mother right. <laughs> who needs to worry most likely. Um, certainly folate is very important before conception and in the first six weeks. But um, if someone's eating plenty of fruits and vegetables, it's absolutely not a problem. Right. Um, often people don't know that they're pregnant back that early. So that's why um, there is a lot of fortification with folic acid because the consequences of not having appropriate levels are um, neural tube defects, which are, that's a permanent problem. So, you know, that's a public health measure that's been taken by like the US government, for instance. Um, but somebody eating plenty of fruits and vegetables absolutely does not need to have a problem with that. And then throughout the pregnancy, um, you know, B12 and D are still a concern often during like the end of the, during the second trimester, the end of the second trimester, you do have some blood work to test for your iron levels. And many women are iron deficient. Um, yeah. I actually just had that blood work done. So in both my first and second pregnancies, my iron levels were absolutely normal, um, even for a non-pregnant person. And, you know, I think that's because I eat plenty of greens and beans and, um, you know, I'm just eating enough whole plant foods and it's, it hasn't been an issue for me. Right. Um, if there is a deficiency, like that's when it is appropriate to take a supplement. Right. Um, I noticed my B12 and D levels were on the low end of normal now. And I, ha I will say I've been very busy, so I haven't been taking my supplements as much as I typically do. And so that was a good reminder for me to um, take them a little bit more often. And especially because it's winter here right now, so I'm not getting much sunshine. Right. And then the other... I mean, the other nutrient to think about are the long chain omega-3 fatty acids because you're growing a brain. So it's important for all those, the development of all those neural networks to have enough of those healthy fats. And um, this is like a conversation for debate whether or not people who eat a totally whole food plant-based diet really need supplements, but um, you know, it probably doesn't hurt. And during pregnancy, it's probably a little bit you know, better. Nice. So there are quite a few supplements with DHA and EPA that are made from algae. And I do take those too. Um, and also during nursing, that's also, you know, good to continue that. Um, but I think, you know, pregnancy is hard. So you have lots of strange cravings. And I thought the first, before I had my first, I thought, oh, I eat such a healthy diet. Like I won't have any problems. I probably won't have any cravings. I'll just be fine. I won't be nauseous. And like so many things in life, if you have all these ideas, life just says, forget it. Like, yeah. You're not in control. Just forget all your ideas. Right. So I was pretty nauseous both times for a long time. And that was disappointing to me the first time. The second time I was expecting it. Um, but you never, you know, you just, you get what you get. You don't know what you're well, going to get. That's not unusual. I was not, I was very nauseous both times as well. My first pregnancy with my son, uh, was not, I was not vegan. Um, and I was nauseous all the time. And then my second pregnancy mm -hmm. was vegan. And of course people sometimes had to tell me, oh, you're getting sick because you're vegan. I said, ah, oh, gotcha. Actually, I was sick my last pregnancy too. Um, yeah. but the, the doctors did it. I really, I had great doctors both times and they didn't really show any concern. I thought they said, as mm -hmm. long as you seem fine, they were checking in on me and, um, yeah, the kiddos were getting, getting what they needed to grow. Um, 
for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't, yeah, had per- persistent nausea as well. So uh, yeah. yeah, that's fun. It's fun to talk about and remember. <laughs> oh, well. Fun oh, for you. you forget when you're in it. It's like, oh my God, I just want to keep a meal down. But then afterwards you have some, maybe some faded memory of it. So, but yeah. uh, I know it's not the realm you work in, but because you're a woman and because um, and you're pregnant and, and this is to me a very exciting area too of sort of plant-based knowledge growing. Uh, as I mm-hmm. mentioned before we started the call, I think it would be, I had a couple of uh, vegan pregnancy books um you know and I actually would carry them around with me sometimes just to be reading you know on the move uh but it would be so neat to see you know like a a resource guide come out something easily put in a purse because I think pregnant women yeah they love they as you mentioned too they love to be reading I think it's a time that we start reading about all sorts of things um even if you're not generally interested in health and nutrition I think when a woman is pregnant that's a time that she might start reading up more on it, so yeah. um, I find it to be a very, very exciting area to pay attention to as well. Yeah. So Definitely. yeah. But yeah. Uh, I appreciate what is on the horizon for you. So you're a research director, so um, at ACLM, uh, yep. American College of Lifestyle. Where is that located? Uh, so we're a virtual organization. We oh, all live okay. in places. I was wondering. Yeah. That's exciting. All right. Yeah. So our executive director and. Um, some of the staff live in St. Louis, Missouri, but the rest of us are scattered in different places and even in a couple other countries. So we, we're all over. Um, so we have a lot of really exciting projects and initiatives there. We're kind of starting now. I've been working there full time just since um, the beginning of the year. So we're developing a new research department and um, really kind of elevating the contribution of that to the work. It's an amazing professional medical society for both physicians and other medical professionals and allied health professionals. Mm-hmm. Like great conference, um, great webinars, great resources for members. Couldn't say enough good things about them. Um, and then my uh, my education and business partner and I, Kathy Pollard, who taught for um, the eCornell certificate program for a long time, have Uh, an online course in plant-based nutrition and how to transition that's kind of based on my book. So that's at sustainablediet.com. And um, Kathy does some coaching with people too to help them with the transition. So kind of working on that too and just trying to make resources available for people that want to learn more and yeah, keep it accessible. It's fantastic. I'm so glad to have had this chat with you from the minute I landed on your website I, last year, um, the year before. I, I can't wait to talk to her. So it's great to finally meet and I look forward to continue dialogue. Thank you. And Me too. It's I been a pleasure. Two more months and a fabulous, fabulous <laughs> birthday. <laughs> it's true. Yep. It's coming. Yep. So we'll be in touch and thank you for taking your time for this podcast. Absolutely. Thank you. Okay. Thank you for listening to Pacific Roots Magazine podcast. Visit us online at pacificrootsmagazine.com. Thank you.